Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Toker. Welcome to our very favorite annual episode, the one that senior producer Joe Schreiner and I discuss all year round, that all-important Halloween edition of Louisiana Eats. On this year's show, we've cooked up some pretty delicious and unsettling tales for you. We begin with culinary historian Sarah Lohman, who travels back in time to share the earliest food traditions surrounding death. And trust me, they're pretty terrifying. Next, we'll go to Slidell where during an interview in August, we experienced a haunting right in the middle of the day at Palmetto's on the Bayou. Wait till you hear what happened. Then we're joined by Kelsey Ramage and Aaron Hayes, whose love of Halloween led them to what is now an international pop-up bar experience called Black Lagoon. Fittingly, their story all begins right here at the dungeon in New Orleans' French Quarter. And we're going after Grandma's long-lost potato salad recipe with the help of Marianne Winkowski, author of Beyond Delicious, the Ghost Whisperer's cookbook. So carve the pumpkin and prepare to be spooked on this week's edition of Louisiana Eats. Sarah Lohman's interest in funeral foods was sparked by her high school job at a living history museum. There, she could be found sitting in a darkened room, wearing a heavy black dress and veil, acting out a mid-19th century funeral. The exhibit also included common funerary foods of the time, such as caraway seed cookies. These odd treats captured Sarah's imagination, leading her to research traditional funeral foods reaching back to prehistoric times. Her path to knowledge offered some surprises along the way. So in this season of The Dearly Departed, I asked Sarah to share stories of the funeral fair that gives a whole new meaning to being close with one's family. Sarah, you have been working on a very spooky, one of my favorite topics, funeral food. And you're such a great researcher. You're going back to almost the dawn of time with us. So take us on that little funeral food journey, would you? So there's two things that go back to basically prehistory that we have found evidence of in graves. 
One of them is a tradition that remained a part of funeral traditions for thousands of years, and that is leaving food for the deceased to nourish them in the afterlife. Prehistoric sites in uh, Europe and throughout the Middle East, people are buried with food. And then Midas's tomb from about 800 AD, when it was discovered in the 1950s, there had been a feast prepared and then eaten by funerary participants inside the tomb. And then all of the fancy dishware had, was just closed. They drank alcohol, they had lentils, they had roast kid goat, you know, it was a big, big feast. So that is an idea that, that continued through a lot of history. The other one, which in a very strange way does still continue, is funerary cannibalism. What? Now, I, I feel like in European cultures, we really portray cannibalism as like an aggressive situation. What you do to people who you don't like. And that is one type of cannibalism. Another type of cannibalism is called funerary cannibalism or endo cannibalism. And it is when a part of eating the remains of a loved one is part of the funeral traditions. Mm. Now, there is an idea that this is part of prehistory because we have noted uh, basically knife marks that uh, match with like butchering techniques on human remains. However, funerary cannibalism customs remained in certain cultures until the early 20th century. Um, it was practiced in Papua New Guinea, it was practiced in the Amazon, it was practiced in parts of Australia as well. It died out, no pun intended, mostly because of Christianity and Christian missionaries, but also it's really not a great idea to eat human beings. Um, when you eat something that's so close to you genetically, some really horrific diseases can sort of jump over, um, like laughing sickness, which is extremely similar to mad cow disease and is a neurological, a deadly neurological disorder that comes from consuming the brains of, of in our case, infected human beings. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's horrible. But there is a little bit of a modern day connection, right? And what's that? Well... When you go to Catholic church, you're given the blood and the body of Christ, That's right? True. Even though at one point we were literally talking about eating human flesh, that continues symbolically. And even now, when you when you ask people from all around the world, but particularly Catholic or Christian countries, what is a part of their kind of funeral food, they always mention a bread, a cake. You know, there's some sort of bread like something that's really commonly served almost ritualistically at funerals. So even if it's not an active religious service, this bread equaling the body is huge. Let me tell you one more spooky story based on that. But I also but also I think it's really lovely um, in the 19th and probably through the early 20th century in Europe. Sometimes you would make bread where you would put the bowl to rise on the chest of the deceased. And the idea was when the bread would rise, it was taking in the spirit of the deceased. And then at the funeral, you would all pass the bread around and take a piece so that basically you were sort of consuming this person's spirit and like taking their love and the good parts of them along with you for the rest of your life. So it's both kind of like some people are just like, ah, but I also think that's like such a cool tradition too. I do, too. And it speaks to a time when, you know, we're just not used to having dead bodies in our home anymore, to be honest. This is pre-funeral parlor. This is you are, you know, dressing someone and having the ceremonies within your household. Yeah, they're like laying out on the dining room table. Right. All that. So stuff. if you're making bread, you have this sense of like, you know, this person's spirit is still here and they're like literally going into my cooking. Oh, Sarah, it's all so <laughs> spooky. Anything else you want to tell us? How about the sin eater? 
this is a tradition that came out of the UK. Welsh, definitely Irish, maybe Scottish, but outside of the mainstream, it has to do with religious magic. Examples of religious magic are like the hamsa, the hand, or, you know, like spitting to get rid of the evil eye. They are practiced often by multiple different religious communities. Like the evil eye is a part of some Jewish, Christian, and Muslim traditions, but it's either something, an older belief that's outside of a modern religious system, or it is a folk belief that has been spawned by mainstream religion. The sin eater is the latter case. So the Catholic Church comes into Britain, and as people convert to this new faith, there's a lot of anxiety about the fact if you die suddenly and your sins are unconfessed, you go to purgatory, you float around in limbo, you know, you don't go to heaven. That was the anxiety. And historically, a lot more people died of accidents than they do today. You can be gone in an instant. So people came up with this idea of the sin eater, a local person who perhaps didn't have another way to make an income because of a disability, was hired to come to a funeral, and then they would eat food and drink that was passed over the corpse of the deceased. And the idea was, as opposed to this other idea of eating bread and taking on the positive spirit, that the sin eater was taking on the sins of the deceased. So they took on the sins, they also got a little bit of money, and then they left. Oh, Sarah, I'm so glad we got to have this hauntingly good conversation. Thank you for the scary food tales just in time for Halloween. Yes, it's my pleasure. I love this stuff because it always fascinates me how much we're all little goth, right? We love Halloween and this is when it gets to come out. Thank you, Sarah. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, Poppy. That was author and culinary historian Sarah Lohman speaking with us about funerary foods. Sarah will be joining us again soon to talk about an equally scary but decidedly less taboo topic, endangered foods. Tune in to hear that conversation this Thanksgiving season. Over the years, Louisiana Eats has traveled far and wide to hear a good ghost story. We've heard tales of spirits haunting kitchens, dining rooms, and wine cellars. I've even experienced some hauntings myself at Tujac's when it was in its old location. But one thing we've never been able to do is capture the sound of a ghostly disturbance in real time. That is, until now. Recently, we traveled to Slidell, Louisiana to visit Palmetto's on the Bayou, a fine dining restaurant located in a century-old homestead. (laughs) Executive chef Ross Dover joined us in the dining room overlooking Bayou Bonfuca. Um, So I grew up in Homa, Louisiana. Uh, He was telling us how he came to join the culinary world when something strange started happening. I can make a career path from... um, Wait. um, 
The fan directly above us, which until then had been quietly turning at a slow clip, was picking up speed for no evident reason at all. We were in the middle of an interview, so at first we tried to ignore it. Okay, where does he need to pick up from? Um, Restaurant jobs, you worked your way through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I went to school in Baton Rouge uh, to be an x-ray tech. Didn't realize that that wasn't the path I needed to go down, so got a job in a restaurant and really... uh, Isn't that funny? The fan was now whirling around so fast that both my producer, Blake Longlinay, and I were speechless. Even the most powerful overhead fans don't rotate this quickly. Was the electric company running tests? Was someone messing with us? We silently looked to Ross for explanation. He shyly grinned. There, uh, there's little things around here that might be a little quirky. You have ghosts? Uh, I wasn't going to say it out loud. We call them the baseball kids. The baseball kids? I had so many questions. Ross was happy to answer them, but recommended that we also speak with our other interviewee that day, Palmetto's owner, Duffy Ramirez. Duffy joined us at our table as the fan now gently whirred above us. Duffy, Ross says that was the baseball kids. Who the heck is that? We have some friends that, that like to hang out in the restaurant. We've been running into them for years. They're friendly and uh, not quite sure how many there are, but they make themselves known now and then. They like to be part of the operation. So, Duffy, how did you first discover the poltergeist? Well, I was alone in the evening, and this was, you know, 18 years ago, and just felt, you know, something. So what was that thing? Well, you know, it, it was just a presence that I felt, just a weird, you know, where you got, like, the hair on your neck would stand up. And um, then we started hearing things, and then everybody had their own little version of what was going on, you know, of, of some kind of experience. So, you know, it was, it was late at night when I first felt it, so I was scared. But it, it, it feels like a friendly thing to me, you know. It's, it's, not a, it's not a scary thing, but it's something. Something's out there. So... Ross, when you took on this position here, did they tell you in advance the space was haunted? Um, I had a few uh, cooks bring up the instances when they would happen and say, hey, that's the baseball kids, you know, or just some, some kind of whatever it is, pushing stuff around, things would fall off the top shelves. But give you know, me just, some specifics. Let, tell me a good kitchen ghost story. Uh, What's happened back there that has I mean, nonplussed you? In the middle of service, and like a number ten can would fall off a shelf. Yeah, it's like, wait, wait, wait. That's a pretty heavy item to just kind of slide off the shelf, you know? Or just like random little things that would happen would just get kind of registered as, oh, that's just the baseball kids. Things we couldn't explain, you know? Or if you're here at night, like Duffy said you'll see the camera system and you just see like little shadows floating around whether it's like dust particles or not but we're all skeptics now so we're all kind of like looking around but like you said it doesn't never feels like uh anything negative who are the baseball kids (laughs) like what have you learned about this property 
Well, this property has a lot of history, and it was uh, it was a homestead for a hundred years, and it, before that, it was the Roberts Landing area in the dock of Slidell, and there was um, timber and bricks and whatnot being put out here. There was also big factories, and there was a, a factory that burned, uh, a creosote factory that burned close by here, and like a hundred people perished. And um, so there was also an old baseball field on this property, and I don't think there was any tragedy or anything connected with the baseball field, but somehow, um, you know, the baseball field became part of the uh, Allure. folklore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so that's how that's how the baseball kids became the. That's so. what they were in, introduced to me as <laughs> when I started. Was just I guess that's the reference to the playful little things that they do. It's just in, you know, something else is there with you. I mean, just the surrounding of the restaurant alone is sort of mysterious. It I'm is. sure at night, the the, the oak the trees all lit up and stuff. It's definitely yeah. We have we have lighting and all the trees and all the mosses hanging down and blowing in the breeze so it is if i was a ghost i would want to hang out here yeah it's a cool place to hang out (laughs) (laughs) that was ross dover duffy ramirez and the baseball kids joining us at palmettos on the bayou in slidell louisiana Coming up next, we speak with bartenders Kelsey Ramage and Aaron Hayes. They're the creators of a Halloween pop-up bar they call Black Lagoon. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, now celebrating 100 years of hot sauce deliciousness. Always made with just three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt nothing artificial. Crystal hot sauce. Step out of the heat and into the flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. Camellia is celebrating their centennial with innovations for today's lifestyle. Beans for two. If a bag of beans is too big for your family, Camellia's New Orleans-style red beans for two and Cajun-style white beans for two has everything needed for dinner in today's smaller households. Learn more at CamelliaBrand.com. Libations tend to play a part in most New Orleans celebrations. And this year, 
two young bartenders present the ultimate immersive Halloween-themed pop-up bar called Black Lagoon. Customers are treated to specialty cocktails and macabre decor accompanied by music that could wake the dead. The idea for this spirited experience was spawned at another Big Easy event, Tales of the Cocktail, the annual drinks industry get-together where this bartending duo first hosted a themed pop-up. And their inspiration? A French Quarter dive bar called The Dungeon, which has been creeping out drinkers with its skull and bone adornments for decades. Black Lagoon's co-founders explained how this initial pop-up became an annual Halloween event in cities across the country and Canada. My name is Kelsey Ramage, and I am one of the co-founders of Black Lagoon. And I am Erin Hayes, the other half of the co-founders of Black Lagoon. <laughs> well, welcome, you two. So why don't you all tell us a little bit about Black Lagoon and the part that New Orleans played in inspiring it. So Kelsey and I have known each other for a very long time, just through the industry. Um, we both come from a background of cocktail bars, but also have a love of kind of this lifestyle uh, that Black Lagoon has become. You know, we were like the alternative goth kids in high school, um, love metal music and the goth aesthetic and love Halloween. So we decided after throwing an incredible party that was like a underground event during Tales of the Cocktail at the Dungeon in New Orleans in 2019, that this kind of vibe has legs and we could turn it into something really cool and special because there wasn't really anything like that around Halloween as a holiday. And we did the first one in Toronto in 2021, right after uh, the pandemic. And it just like, it went off. There was just so many of people with our aesthetic and our love for the macabre that just came out and supported in addition to like the cocktail enthusiasts and the weirdos and just the people who wanted to dress up. So it was just, it made sense. You actually got named Canada's best pop-up bar last year. We did. Yeah, it was um, Canada's 100 Best has been a thing um, for a while now. And I think this was a new category for them, um, but we were happy to make it. Well, I'm so glad that you all are bringing the Black Lagoon back to New Orleans, the place that started it all. You know, describe for us what that Black Lagoon experience is really like. Yeah, we really wanted it to be immersive. So we wanted, you know, no no surface to be untouched, like similar to tropical style bars where there's every part of it is is decorated. So the seaweed and the vines and the purple lighting kind of goes towards the bar area, you know, body parts hanging everywhere. And in Toronto and LA, which is where we both lived, I think those were probably the major decorated ones where we had like a lightning sky and then like a graveyard and like animatronics. And we just, yeah, we went ham on it because we love doing it. We want this to be kind of like a, a haunted house vibe with cocktails and great music. In New Orleans this year, the Black Lagoon pop-up bar is operating at Anna's Bar in the Marigny through Halloween night. 
Yeah. So at Anna's, it's going to be in their upstairs bar, which is haunted. So it's like the perfect venue for it. They always have a martini out for the spirits. So you'll go up the back staircase and into the room, and it's just going to be a total departure from the experience downstairs. So it's going to be dark. Um, the decor is going to be very transportative. It's going to look like, you know, an abandoned, decrepit attic with delicious cocktails and you never know you know what creepy haunts are going to be wandering around the room it's not like an experience necessarily there's not going to be performers it's not a ticketed thing it's a come as you are whenever you like come enjoy cocktails come enjoy the space lots of little easter eggs hidden around in the decorations are there any cocktails that you'd like to mention that might guarantee a particularly haunting experience shall we say yeah i think that People will really enjoy the death rattle this year. It comes in our custom ceramic mug, which is our zombie mermaid. She's like our main, one of our main characters. Um, and that is with Ford's gin. It's a variation on a fog cutter. Um, so it's like real tropical in nature, but it's also got some savory notes. It's got some spiced pineapple, very, very tasty and comes in the best glass. <laughs> Well, what a fun, fun way to celebrate Halloween. So thank you for providing us with this extended way to celebrate this haunting favorite holiday. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. We're, we're very excited. That was Kelsey Ramage and Aaron Hayes, co-founders of Black Lagoon. You can experience the Halloween pop-up bar in 13 cities throughout the United States, Canada, Mexico, and France. In New Orleans, Black Lagoon spooks nightly, now through Halloween, at Anna's Bar, 2601 Royal Street in the Marigny. About a three-hour drive northeast of New Orleans, in the heart of Cajun country, is the little town of Mamou, Louisiana. Perhaps most famous for its bar and dance hall, Fred's Lounge, the town attracts tourists from all over the world looking for a taste of authentic Acadian culture. But Fred's isn't the only place drawing travelers to Mamou's sleepy little main street. Just down the road from Fred's, the historic Hotel Kazan has checked in more than its fair share of ghost hunters, all hoping to catch a glimpse of the apparitions who've never checked out. The hotel's owner, Valerie Cahill, invited the Louisiana Eats crew to spend the night in the century-old structure. But before we did, she gave us a tour of the premises, sharing stories of specters who'd be keeping his company there during our stay. I'm Valerie Cahill, and we are in front of the historic Hotel Kazan. And what I found out is the history of it being haunted goes back decades and decades and decades. 
I started out very cynical because I had not ever seen a ghost, nor have I seen one. But what surprises me the most is people that come here from around the world, and you know they do, to come to Fred's and to see this area, they all see the same apparitions. The Paranormal Society that has the TV show, they came in from uh, Hammond, and they did two episodes here, but they set it up with the FLIR cameras, the forward-looking infrared cameras, and they caught quite a bit of footage. Well, so we go inside and we do a little ghost hunting of our own? We gotta do it. Okay. We're gonna let the ghost do some poppy tooker, honey. <laughs> Poppy, right now you are in the historic Kazan's Bar, and this building has been completely renovated down to the studs, a major renovation before we came here. However, we kept the bullet hole from an early robbery when it was a bar. Yes. And now if you want to come back here, this is HQ for some of our apparitions. Oh. And now for you. Oh, it's oh. like the secret door. <laughs> When this has been set up with all the different accoutrements to see the paranormal activity that we have, this is one of the areas that really registers. But I will keep you safe. Do you have any idea who hangs out back there in a ghostly sense? They were not defined in a way that you could determine an identity. It's a shape you can usually get like a gender feeling from it. And they've captured all of this on film. But no, I couldn't give an identity because I wouldn't even recognize the people going back to the 1900s. Some of them, they feel like they know who the apparition is or who the spirit is because of the context. So the ghost that goes through the cafe wall, for an example, they know who she is because of who she was in life. Matil, which looks like Matilda written down, comes like straight about through here. Really? and goes outside. And so I used to ask why she was going outside, and they say no, that this was actually a dining room out here going back in time. When they did a major renovation, everything stayed historic, and that was not a part of it. But by all accounts, she goes in and out as she did in life, and there is abundant capturing of that on, on the camera images of it. And who is Matteo? Matteo used to be a waitress here, and the way it was expressed to me, her happiest times were here when she was at work, maybe somewhat an unhappy marriage. And so when she was here, she was happy. And she was going back and forth and serving the people delicious food, as she persists in doing now. So commonly people see her. And the people that see her will never see each other. I'm talking about mediums from Canada, a 10-year-old from Tennessee, a developmentally disabled woman that was a guest. It is a range of people that see it, and they all see the same things. Could commonly see her, see the guy at the top of the stairs with his hair combed back. Certain things they all see, we never write it up publicly, we never put it on the website, and, and various people that will never meet each other, never speak in any way, see the same things. I have to ask you, has anybody ever stayed in a room and had an apparition sort of spook them? No questions about it, Poppy, because one morning, I had a man come down and ask me if I had been in the room that he and his wife shared overnight. I said, no, sir, absolutely not, nor would I. Oh, it's okay. Did you come in in the middle of the night? I'm like, yeah, no, sir, I sure did not, would not, never thought about him. Okay. Boom, he goes. Wife comes down. Hey, Val, did you happen to come in our room in the middle of the night? I'm like, no, you were in your room with your husband? No, no. They said, but it's okay if you did. Did you happen to come in and turn off the radio? 
was like, why? Because I'm a fanatic about the power bills? No, I did not. Well, what happened? They said the radio had turned off, the lights had turned off, the nightlight had turned off, and then later on something else came on that wasn't. So definitely do, and we have people that hear a child's voice, like a small child's singing voice. So yes, we definitely have guests hear something, see like a vapor trail. It looks like when a plane goes through the sky, like vapor trails of diaphanous gauziness. But it's always benign, it's always friendly, and it seems to make people comfortable. And what I have been told, being no expert, because the spirits are actually at rest here, they are not disturbed spirits. So these are benign spirits. Our guests are benign and content as well. So it's, it's really just a good fit. There's no, no scary element that seems disturbing. Well, all I can say is thank you for welcoming us into your haunted hotel. And I just can hardly wait for my sleepover with your haunts. Well, we want you to come back because you are our favorite apparition, Poppy Tooker. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie Cahill of the Haunted Hotel Kazan. For those of you wondering if anyone in the Louisiana Eats crew had a run-in with those benign apparitions during our stay, I'll reserve my comments. Let's just say that this group of skeptics thought twice before turning out the lights. Halloween decoration also qualifies as a superfood. Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, now doing for chicken what they've always done for fish. Fried chicken tenders, wings, sandwiches, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry has you covered with a mix specially for chicken. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from Visit the North Shore, discover world-class culinary flavors on the North Shore this fall. Experience the bounty of the bayou and the rich culture from award-winning chefs, soulful mom-and-pop restaurants, extraordinary bakers, and creative mixologists. To learn more, request the Explore the North Shore Visitor Guide for inspirational stories, custom itineraries, and event information at visitthenorthshore.com. St. Tammany Parish, Louisiana's easy escape, just 40 minutes from New Orleans French Quarter. This week's culinary quiz question brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What Halloween decoration also qualifies as a superfood? That jack-o'-lantern sitting on your doorstep. 
Pumpkin is low in calories and sodium and provides great fiber in our diet. The seeds are high in protein, iron, and B vitamins, but the superfood part figures in because pumpkin is very high in beta-carotene, which the human body converts into vitamin A. Pumpkins are native to the Americas, and Native Americans relied on them to get through the long, cold winters. They ate those gourds roasted, baked, parched, boiled, and dried. Dried pumpkin was ground into flour, and the dried shells were used as bowls and containers. Pumpkins literally saved the pilgrims in their early years in America. A typical pilgrim preparation involved cutting the top off the pumpkin, scooping out the seeds, and then filling the cavity with cream, honey, eggs, and spices. Mmm, mmm, that sounds good. So don't just carve it as a decoration. Eat your pumpkin this Halloween season. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats. Mary Ann Winkowski is a church-going housewife and mother of two who lives in the Ohio suburbs. Marianne also has the uncanny ability to see and speak with ghosts. It might surprise you to learn that one of the things these specters want to share with her are their recipes. She compiled them into a book, perfect for the season, called Beyond Delicious, the Ghost Whisperer's Cookbook. Marianne says her experience communicating with ghosts goes back to her childhood. I was seven in Catholic school, first grade, and uh, <laughs> that's when I found out nobody else could do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so what did you see? What happened? So it was lavatory break, and we're walking back two by two down the hallway, And I glanced back and saw one of my little friends, and she had this very, um, he was like a creepy-looking guy standing behind her. He was missing a couple teeth. He almost looked like a hobo. And I said, sister, it was my turn at the door. I said, sister, I said, there's a man standing by Susie, and I don't like the way he looks. And she looked down at me and tapped the top of my head and she says, oh, Marianne, that's just her guardian angel. So I'm thinking, well, he doesn't look like a guardian angel. So I came home that day, and I called my grandmother, and she says, well, Marianne, not everybody can do it. You've got to be quiet. You can't tell anybody. You have to keep it a secret. You'll get your mom and dad in trouble. And that's what I did. I was married to my wonderful husband for over two years before I told him I could do it. So your grandmother had her own personal experience with this, and that's how she knew what was going on. Grandma had the ability that if some paisan or goomba died over in the old country in Italy, she could talk to him. You know, 60, 70 years ago, her little claim to fame was if somebody died over in the old country, she'd dream about him that night, she'd get up in the morning, she'd go across the street, and she'd say, Rose, your brother Luigi died last night. 
And sure enough, by the time they laid him out in the parlor and they sent the photo to America, it would be five or six weeks, Luigi died. When my mother went to the hospital to have my sister Diane, on the way to the hospital, they dropped me off at Grandma's house. Well, that week, somebody died over in Italy. And this one morning, I got up, and Grandma fed me breakfast, and I went off into the sunroom to play. And she hears me talking my heart out in Italian to somebody in this little sunroom. And she's standing in the doorway, and, of course, she doesn't see anybody. So she says, Marianne, who are you talking to? I told her. She says, where is he? And I pointed to him. She says, well, ask him this and ask him that. And ask, well, I'm two years old. How do I know these things? So she realized I could see and talk to him when I was awake. That's why she started taking me to funerals when I was four years old. So tell me the difference between earthbound spirits Mm -hmm. and those who have crossed over. Okay. Psychic mediums are the people that have the ability to talk to spirits that have gone into the light and crossed over. I cannot see anybody that's gone to the light. I see the ones that made the choice after they died not to go into the light. Ah, so they're the ones still hanging around. Exactly, and those are the ones that cause problems in people's houses. They don't eat or sleep, but they need human energy to keep going. So they're the ones that like to make problems in houses so people get stressed out or scared or aggravated or tired, and that's where they get their energy from. Now, aside from in houses, you you find them congregating in other places as well, don't you? They are going to be anywhere where there is a crowd of people, malls theaters, stadiums. What about restaurants? Oh, yes, restaurants, absolutely. What what have you seen in restaurants? We were sitting, my husband and I were sitting close to the little room where they walk in where they would get soup or the coffee for the patrons, okay? Uh There was a refrigerator-type thing in there that you could slide the door to get creamers out and that kind of stuff. So every time one of the waitresses would go in there and get something. They would close the door, but this woman ghost would crack it open about two inches. (laughs) And every time the manager would come by, whoever was closest, I told you to keep that door closed. What's wrong with you? And the looks on these poor waitstaff's faces was, I must be cracking up. (laughs) And so finally... You know when you want to catch a waitress's eye at a restaurant, how you stare at them? Yeah. Well, I finally started staring at this ghost, and she looked at me, and I winked at her. And then she really <laughs> looked at me, and I just looked at her, and I said, knock it off. <laughs> and she finally went on a different side of the restaurant where I couldn't see her. <laughs> when did you get your first recipe from a ghost? Years, years, years ago, I got invited to a house of a lady that lived alone, an older woman. Her husband had died, and it was right after Thanksgiving but before Christmas. And as soon as she opened the door and invited me in, oh, it smelled so good in that house. Well, here when I walked up to the kitchen, there on the cooling racks were nut rolls. I said, oh, my gosh, I said, your nut rolls smell so good. The ghost, it was a woman standing there, says, oh, yeah, they smell good, she says, but they taste terrible. 
Oh. She said she has no idea how to make a nut roll. <laughs> She's not a bad cook. Her meatloaf looks pretty good, but she can't bake for a tinker's dam. And I said, oh, no. So I'm talking to the woman, and she did not know this lady, It's and which is the case in most houses. You do not know the ghost that's in your house. And so we get all done, and I said to the woman, are you ready to let me let her go? The woman said, oh, yes, is she going to go to heaven? I says, well, I'm going to make the white light and let her walk into it. That's my plan. So the ghost looks at me, and she says, Get a pencil and paper. I'm, I'm going to give her my nut roll recipe. I have a better nut roll recipe than hers. And I'm going, oh, okay. So I says, can I have paper and pencil? So she hurry up, and she got me paper and pencil, and I scribbled down this recipe. And so I get all done, and I release the woman, and the lady that owns the house says, what did you write down? Now, how am I going to tell this poor lady that her nut rolls are really cruddy? I said, uh, this woman was so happy that you had me here to release her that she gave you her secret nut roll recipe. Would you like it? And she goes, oh, yeah. So I rewrote it nice, and I threw that scrap in my case. Over the years, I just accumulated tons of these like that. But the funny part with this particular story was between Christmas and New Year's, this lady calls me. And she says to me, that recipe that that ghost lady gave me, was it like a secret, secret recipe? (laughs) I said, why? She goes, everybody's asking me for that recipe. She says, nobody ever asked for my recipe. (gasps) I thought, oh. (laughs) Well, that, that is one of the recipes in your book, Beyond Delicious, the Ghost Whisperers Cookbook. How'd you get the idea for the book? It was actually a bookseller that gave me the idea for it. Somebody came up to me and said, my grandmother died. Can you contact her? Because she had the best recipe for some cookie. She died telling it to nobody. I said, you know, I've got boxes full of recipes from ghosts. Maybe the cookie recipe's in there. I says, one of these days I'll have to put it together. And this bookseller's next to me. He goes, you have recipes from ghosts? I says, oh, boxes full. <laughs> and, you know, ghosts try to be very helpful, but unfortunately most people can't understand them or hear them, and so they have to find somebody like me that can, you know, actually talk to them and get the recipe, plus the fact, don't we all know somebody that died Or when they give you a recipe, they just change one little thing so it's never the right recipe. I've always wondered about that. You know, I think (laughs) it's the adoration that they think because nobody can do it like they do it. But sometimes the guilt of not giving out that recipe is one of the reasons why they stick around. So that's could be as simple as unfinished business of why they didn't cross over because they didn't tell somebody a correct recipe. Well, Marianne, on behalf of myself and all the Louisiana Eats listeners, I want to wish you and all of your ghostly friends a very happy Halloween. Well, thank you so much. And please get a little spooky, but stay safe. Marianne Winkowski and her recipes from the dearly departed. 
Her book is called Beyond Delicious, The Ghost Whisperer's Cookbook. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of Louisiana Eats is available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. And don't forget to rate us on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, Visit the North Shore, and Camellia Beans, celebrating their centennial with an innovative new product, Beans for Two. Camellia's new Red Beans for Two and White Beans for Two include everything needed to cook two authentically seasoned bowls of beans, scaled for today's smaller households. Learn more at CamelliaBrand.com. And from D'Agostino Pasta, celebrating our culture with fleur-de-lis, crawfish, and alligator-shaped pastas. All handcrafted in Louisiana, just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Original theme music composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb, with writing contributions from Becky Retz, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. (laughs) 